0: Welcome, In the Great Khan's Tent. History, literature, and storytelling. In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on YouTube. You can find us using this podcast name. Fear not, listeners, episodes will still be released on this podcast first, and it is only after a delay of a week that I will upload them onto YouTube. You can still find us on all your podcast providers first. Are you interested in getting the book you just published reviewed? Writing some piece of literature and need help getting it out there and promoted? Interested in sharing what piece of literature we should cover next? Well, fret not! In the Great Khan's Tent is now available on Patreon, where your contribution can help in growing this podcast. For as low as $3 a month, a price less than a good, and I mean good, cup of coffee, you can help contribute to the growth of this podcast. Every bit helps, but as always, it is not necessary to do so, but will be appreciated. Find the Patreon link on our website, on our social media accounts, or email us and we can send it to you. Thank you. If you have any suggestions, comments, or complaints, please be sure to email us at all lowercase in the great hans tent at gmail.com. That is in the great hans tent at gmail.com. We would love to hear from our listeners. Hello all, Saf Big here. As you listen to my podcast, I would hope that you would make a donation, if possible, to the Palestine Children's Relief Fund, or the PCRF, ENERA, the American Near East Refuge Aid, or Medical Aid for Palestinians. In these trying times, it is necessary for everyone to do what they can. Even if it's a little bit, it helps. Thank you. In this episode, we continue with our exploration of the 1001 nights with the exciting conclusion of the story of the story of Nuruddin and Anis al-Jalise with night 38 and beginning a new story, the story of Ranim, the son of Ayyub, the distracted slave of love with night 39. The role played by Harun al-Rashid in the story of Nuruddin and Anis al Jalis clearly is another, more calmer and rational aspect of his personality than what we saw in the story of the humpback. While he does continue to threaten Jafar al-Barmaki with death if he does not do exactly as he says, his sense of justice is clearly more sharpened in this story than the previous one, especially in regard to the vizier al-Muin, the son of Sawi, and the sultan Muhammad, the son of Suleiman al-Zaini, who is his cousin. This story also shows how the power base for the Abbasid Caliphate was built around with vital posts such as the Sultan of Basra being given to his family members rather than anyone from outside the immediate tribal connection. The new story of Ganim returns us to the root of who these stories were really meant for, with the main character being the son of a merchant who also becomes a merchant selling his wares in the city of Baghdad, having travelled from his home in Damascus. We are not told yet as to why he has the appellation of the distracted slave of love, though hopefully the story will tell us. This story is once again set in a time of Harun al-Rashid, once again indicating that this story may be one of the core stories of the Thousand and One Nights. A'udzubillah min Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim In the name of God, the Compassionate, the Merciful. Praise be to God, the Beneficent King, the Creator of the universe, who has raised the heavens without pillars, and spread out the earth as a bed. And blessings and peace be upon the Lord of Apostles, our Lord and Master, Muhammad, and his family. Blessings and peace enduring and constant unto the Day of Judgment. Of a verity, the doings of the ancients become a lesson to those that follow after, so that men look upon the admonitory events that have happened to others and take warning, and come to the knowledge of what befell bygone peoples and are restrained thereby. So glory be to him who hath appointed the things that have been done aforetime for an example to those that have come after. And of these admonitory instances are the histories called the Thousand and One Nights, with all their store of illustrious fables and relations. Sherzad continued, Upon this, the Khalifa was affected with violent emotion and overcome by ecstasy, so that he was no longer master of himself from excessive delight. And he began to exclaim, Allah approve thee allah approve thee allah approve thee so nuruddin said to him o fisherman have the damsel and her art in striking the cords pleased thee yea by Allah, exclaimed the khalifa, and Nuruddin immediately said, She is bestowed upon thee as a present from me, the present of a generous man, who will not revoke his gift. And he rose upon his feet, and took a melwata, and threw it upon the khalifa in the fisherman's disguise, ordering him to depart with the damsel. But she looked towards him, and said, O my master, wilt thou part with from me without bidding me farewell, and if we must be separated, pause while I take leave of thee, and she recited the following couplet. If you depart from me still, your abode will be in my heart, in the recesses of my bosom. I implore the compassionate to grant our reunion, and a boon such as this, Allah will grant to whom he pleaseth. Master, are you going without saying goodbye? If this has to be, stay until I take my leave of you and find relief. Then she started to recite these lines. I suffer longing, memories, and sorrow that make my wasted body like a ghost. Beloved, do not say I shall forget. Despair comes from despair, and my grief will not cease. If any one should swim in his own tears, the first to do so would be I. Your love holds sway within my heart, as water and wine are mixed in the same glass. This is a separation which I feared. O oh, you, whose love is in my innermost heart, O oh, Ibn Chakan, you are my wish and hope. Your love can never leave my heart. It was because of me that our sultan became your enemy and you were driven out. May Allah not cause you to regret my loss. You have given me to a generous man who earns our praise. When the khalif heard Anis al-Jalis say, You have given me to a generous man, his desire for her increased. But he found it hard to think of parting the two. And when she had finished, Nuruddin thus replied to her, she bade me farewell on the day of separation, saying, while she wept from the pain that it occasioned, what wilt thou do after my departure? Say this, I replied, unto him who will survive it. She took her leave of me the day we parted, the pangs of longing made her weep and say, What will you find to do when I have gone? I said, Say this to one who stays alive. The Khalifa, when he heard this, was distressed at the thought of separating them and looking towards a young man. He said to him, O my master, art thou in fear on account of any crime, or art thou in debt to anyone? Nuruddin answered, By Allah, O fisherman, a wonderful event and an extraordinary adventure happened to me and this damsel. If it were engraved on the understanding, it would be a lesson to him who would be admonished. This girl and I share a strange and remarkable story, which, were it written with needles on the corners of the eyes, would serve as a lesson for those who can learn. Wilt thou not, rejoined the Khalifa, relate to us thy story, and acquaint us with thy case? Perhaps thy doing so may be productive of relief, for the relief of Allah is near. So Nuruddin said, Wilt thou hear our story in poetry or in prose? Prose, answered the Khalifa, is mere talk and verse words put together like pearls. And nur hung down his head towards the ground, and then related his story in a series of verses, and recited, Friend, I have abandoned sleep, exile, has made my cares increase. My father was affectionate, but he left me and went down to the grave. With him my fortune perished, and I became broken in heart he bought for me a girl whose pliant figure put the brows to shame. All my inheritance I spent on her, and I gave generously to the generous. My cares increased, I offered her for sale, though pangs of parting were not what I wished. When bids were called forth by the auctioneer, the highest came from a depraved old man. At this my anger blazed up, and I snatched her hand away from that old scoundrel's grasp. The wretch struck me in anger, and fire of evil doing kindled in his heart. I hit him with my right hand and my left, in anger till my distress was cured. I was afraid and went back to my house, hiding away for fear of enemies. The ruler of the land ordered me to be seized. His chamberlain, a man of recissitude, warned me that I should flee out of their reach, thus saddening my jealous enemies. Sheltered by darkness, we then left our house, looking to come and stay here in Baghdad. Fisherman, I have no treasures I can give, except for what I have already given. But here you have, the darling of my heart, be sure it is my own heart that I give." when he had finished the khalifa begged him to explain his case more fully he therefore acquainted him with the whole of his circumstances from beginning to end and when the khalifa understood the affair. He said to him, Whither wouldest thou now repair? He answered, Allah's earth is wide. The Khalifa then said to him, I will write for thee a letter which thou shalt convey to the Sultan Muhammad, the son of Suleiman al Zaini. Night 38 Morning now dawned, and Shehrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the 38th night, she continued, I have heard, Auspicious Shanshah, that the Khalif said, I shall write you a note to take to the Sultan Muhammad ibn Suleyman al Zaini, and when he shall have read it, he will do thee no injury is there in the world said nuruddin a fisherman who correspondeth with sultans verily this is a thing that can never be thou hast spoken truly rejoined the khalifa but i will acquaint thee with the cause know that i read in the same school with him under a master and i was his monitor and after that prosperity was his lot And he became a sultan, while Allah made me to be a fisherman. Yet I have never sent to request anything of him, but he hath performed my wish. And if I sent to him every day to request a thousand things of him, he would do what I asked. When Nuruddin therefore heard his words, he said to him, Write that I may see. And he took an inkhorn and a pen, and wrote after the phrase, in the name of Allah the Compassionate, the Merciful, to proceed. This letter is from Harun al-Rashid, the son of al mahdi to His Highness Muhammad, the son of Suleiman al zaini who hath been encompassed by my beneficence, and whom I constituted my viceroy of a portion of my domains who enjoys my gracious favour and whom I have appointed as my lieutenant in one part of my kingdom. I acquaint thee that the bearer of this letter is Nuruddin, the son of Al-Fadl, the son of Chakan, the vizier, and on his arrival in thy presence thou shalt divest thyself of the regal authority and seat him in thy place, for I have appointed him to the office to which I formerly appointed thee, so disobey not my commands, and peace be on thee. He then gave the letter to Ali Nuruddin, who took it and kissed it and put it in his turban, and immediately set forth on his journey. The sheikh Ibrahim now looked towards the khalifa in his fisherman's disguise and said to him, O most contemptible of fishermen, thou hast brought us two fish worth twenty half dirhams, and received three pieces of gold, and desirous to take the slave also. But when the khalifa heard these words, he cried out at him and made a sign to Masrur, who immediately discovered himself and rushed in upon him. Jafar, meanwhile, had sent one of the attendants of the garden to the porter of the palace to demand a suit of clothing of him for the prince of the faithful, and the man went and brought the dress and kissed the ground before the khalifa, who took it off and gave to him that which he was then clad and put on this suit. The Sheikh Ibrahim was sitting on a chair. The khalifa paused to see the result and the sheikh was astounded and began to bite the ends of his fingers through his confusion saying am i asleep or awake the khalifa then looked at him and said o sheikh ibrahim what is this predicament in which thou art placed and upon this the sheikh recovered from his intoxication and throwing himself upon the ground implored forgiveness and recited, forgive the crime that caused my foot to slip, the servant seeks generosity from his master, I admit that I have followed the demands of sin, but where are those of forgiveness and generosity? And the khalifa pardoned him, after which he gave orders that the damsel should be conveyed to the palace where he resided, and when she had arrived there, he appointed to her a separate lodging and appointed persons to wait upon her, and said to her, Know that I have sent thy master as Sultan of al-Basra, and if Allah please, I will dispatch to him a dress of honour, and send thee also to him with it. As to Nuruddin, he continued his journey until he entered al-Basra, and went up to the palace of the Sultan, where he uttered a loud cry, whereupon the sultan desired him to approach, and when he came to the presence of the sultan, he kissed the ground before him and produced the letter and handed it to him. And as soon as the Sultan saw the superscription in the handwriting of the Prince of the Faithful, he rose upon his feet, and having kissed it three times, said, I hear, and pay obedience to Allah, whose name be exalted, and to the Prince of the Faithful. To hear is to obey Almighty Allah and the Commander of the Faithful. He then summoned before him the four Qadis and the Emirs, and was about to divest himself of the regal office. But lo, the vizier al-Mu'in, the son of Sawi, was before him, and the sultan gave him the letter of the prince of the faithful. And when he saw it, he rent it in pieces, and put it in his mouth, and chewed it, and threw it down. The sultan, enraged, cried, Woe to thee! What hath induced thee to act thus? He answered, This man hath Had no interview with the khalifa nor with his vizier. He is the spawn of a scheming devil, but is a young wretch, an artful devil, who having met with a paper containing the handwriting of the khalifa hath counterfeited it and written what he desired. He has never, never, never come from the khalif. Wherefore, then, shouldst thou abdicate the sovereignty when the khalifa hath not sent to thee an envoy? with the royal autographical mandate, for if this affair were true, he had sent with him a chamberlain or a vizier but he came alone. What then is to be done, said the Sultan? The Vizier answered, Send away this young man with me, and I will take charge of him, and dispatch him in company with a Chamberlain to the city of Baghdad, and if his words be true, he will bring us a royal autographical mandate and diploma of investiture, and if not true, they will send him back to us with the Chamberlain, and I will take my revenge upon the offender. When the sultan heard what the vizier said, it pleased him, and the vizier took him away and cried out to the pages who threw Nuruddin and beat him until he became insensible. He then ordered to put a chain upon his feet and called the jailer, and when he came, he kissed the ground before him. The jailer was named Kutyat, and the vizier said to him, O Kutyat. I desire that thou take this person and cast him into one of the subterranean cells which are in thy prison and torture him night and day. The jailer replied, "I hear and obey." And he put Nuruddin into the prison and locked a door upon him. But after having done this, he gave orders to sweep a mustaba within the door and furnished it with a prayer carpet and a pillow and seated Nuruddin upon it and loosened his chains, and treated him with kindness. The vizier every day sent to him, commanding him to beat him, and the jailer pretended that he tortured him, while on the contrary he treated him with benignity. Thus he continued for forty days, and on the forty-first day there came a present from the khalifa, and when the sultan saw it, it pleased him, and he conferred with the viziers upon the subject but one said, perhaps this present was designed for the new sultan. Upon this the vizier al-Mu'in, the son of Sawi, remarked, it were proper to have slain him on his arrival, and the sultan exclaimed, now thou hast reminded me of him, go down and bring him, and I will strike off his head. The vizier replied, I hear and obey, and arose, saying, I desire to proclaim throughout the city, he who wisheth to witness the decapitation of Nuruddin Ali, the son of Al-Fadl, the son of Haqqan. Let him come to the palace, so that all the people might come to behold it, and I may gratify my heart and mortify my enviers. The Sultan said, Do what thou wilt. So the vizier descended, full of joy and happiness, and went to the wali and ordered him to make this proclamation. And when the people heard the crier, they all grieved and wept, even the boys in the schools and the tradesmen in their shops, and numbers of the people strove together to take for themselves places where they might behold the spectacle, while others repaired to the prison to accompany him thence. The vizier then went forth attended by ten Mamluks to the prison, and Kutiet, the jailer said to him, What dost thou desire, O our lord, the vizier? Bring forth to me, said the vizier, this young wretch. The jailer replied, He is in a most miserable state from the excessive beating that I have inflicted upon him. And he entered and found him reciting some verses, commencing thus, Who is there to aid me in my affliction? For my pain hath become intense, and my remedy is scarce procurable. Who will help me in my affliction? My disease has increased and its cure is hard to find. Separation has affected my heart's blood and my last breath of life. While time has changed my friends, making them foes, are there any here with pity and compassion to weep for my state or answer to my cry. The pangs of death are easy for me to bear. I have abandoned all hope of a pleasant life. O Allah, in the name of our guide, the chosen bringer of good news, ocean of knowledge, Lord of intercessors, I call on you to rescue me and to forgive my fault, removing from me hardship and distress. And the jailer pulled off from him his clean clothes and having clad him in two dirty garments brought him out to the vizier nuruddin then looked at him and saw that he was his enemy who had incessantly desired his destruction and when he beheld him he wept and said to him art thou secure from misfortune hast thou not heard the saying of the poet they made use of their power and used it tyrannically and soon it became as though it never had existed. Have you not heard the words of the poet, Where are the mighty Persian kings, the hoarded treasures, but the treasures are gone, as are the kings? O vizier, know that Allah, whose perfection be extolled and whose name be exalted, is the doer of whatever he willeth. O Ali, replied the vizier, Wouldst thou frighten me by these words? I am now going to strike off thy head in spite of the people of al-Basra, and I will pay no regard to thy counsel, but I will rather attend to the saying of the poet, Let fortune do whatever it willeth, and bear with cheerful mind the effects of fate. Let the days act as they will, be content with your present fate. How excellent also is the saying of another poet, He who liveth after his enemy a single day hath attained his desire. The vizier then ordered his pages to convey him on the back of a mule, whereupon they said to him, being distressed to obey, Suffer us to stone him and cut him in pieces, though our lives should be sacrificed in consequence. But he replied, Never do it. Have ye not heard what the poet hath said? A decreed term is my inevitable lot, and as soon as its days have expired, I die. If the lions dragged me into their forest, they could not close it, while aught of it remained. Have ye not heard what the poet has said? Inevitably, I have an allotted time to live, and when its days are finished, I shall die. Were lions drag me to their lair, they would not end my life, if time were still assigned to me. So they proceeded to proclaim before Nuruddin, this is the smallest recompense of him who forgeth a letter from the Khalifa to the Sultan. And they continued to parade him throughout al-Basra, until they stationed him beneath the window of the palace, and in the place of blood, when the executioner approached him and said to him, I am a slave under command, and if thou hast any want, acquaint me with it, that I may perform it for thee. For there remaineth not of thy life any more than the period until the sultan shall put forth his face from the window. And upon this Nur al-Din looked to the right and left and recited these verses. Is there among you a merciful friend who will aid me? I conjure you by Allah to answer me. My life hath passed and my death is at hand. Is there any who will pity me to obtain my recompense and consider my state and relieve my anguish by a draught of water that my torment may be lightened? I see the sword, the swordsman and the mat, and I lament humiliation and my great misfortune. Do I see no compassionate friend to give me help? I have asked you, now reply to me. The span of my life is over and my death is near. Will none show mercy and win Allah's reward for this? Looking at my plight, relieving my distress with a drink of water to lessen my suffering. And the people were excited to tears for him, and the executioner took some water to hand it to him. But the vizier arose from his place and struck the kulleh of water with his hand and broke it and called to the executioner, commanding him to strike off his head, whereupon he bound Nuruddin's eyes. The people, however, called out against the vizier, and raised a tumultuous cry against him, and many words passed between them, and while they were in this state, lo, a dust arose, and filled the sky and the open tracks, and when the sultan beheld it, as he sat in the palace, he said to his attendants, see what is the news. The vizier said, after thou shalt first have beheaded this man, but the sultan replied, wait thou until we see what is the news. Now this dust was the dust of Jafar, the vizier of the Khalifa, and of his attendants, and the cause of their coming was this. The khalifa had passed thirty days without remembering the affair of Ali, the son of al-Fadl, the son of Haqqan, and no one mentioned it to him until he came one night to the private apartment of Anis al-Jalis, and heard her lamenting as she recited with a soft voice the saying of the poet, Thine image is before me, whether distant or near, and my tongue never ceases to mention thee. Whether you are far from me or near, your image never leaves me, and your name is never absent from my tongue. Her lamentation increased, and lo, the Khalifa opened the door and entered the chamber, and saw Anis al Jalis weeping. On beholding the Khalifa, she fell at his feet, and having kissed them three times, recited these two verses. O thou of pure origin, and of excellent birth, of ripe fruit branch, and of unsullied race, I reminded thee of the promise of thy beneficence granted, and far be it from thee that thou shouldest forget it. I remind you of the promise that you made in your great generosity. Allah forbid that you forget. The Khalifa said to her, Who art thou? She answered, I am the present given to thee by Ali, the son of Al-Fadl, the son of Hakan, and I requested the fulfilment of the promise which thou gavest me, that thou wouldst send me to him with the honorary gift, for I have now been here thirty days, and have not tasted sleep. And upon this the Khalifa summoned Jafar al-Barmaki and said to him, For thirty days I have heard no news of Ali, the son of al-Fadl, the son of Qaqan, and I imagine nothing less than that the Sultan hath killed him, but by my head, by the tombs of my ancestors, if any evil event have happened to him, I will destroy him who hath been the cause of it, though he be the dearest of men in my estimation. I desire therefore that thou journey immediately to Al-Basra and bring me an account of the conduct of the Sultan Muhammad, the son of Suleiman al-Zaini, to Ali, the son of Al Fadl, the son of Khaqan. If you spend any longer away than the length of the journey warrants, I will cut off your head. You are to tell my cousin, the Sultan, the story of Nuruddin, and that I sent him off with a letter from me. If you find that he has done anything other than what I ordered in my letter, then you are to bring him and al-muin in whatever state you find them and you are not to be away for any longer than the journey requires to hear is to obey replied ja'far So Jafar obeyed his commands and set forth on his journey, and when he approached and saw this tumult and crowd, he said, What is the occasion of this crowd? They related to him, therefore, the situation in which they were with regard to Nuruddin, and when he heard their words, he hastened to go up to the sultan, and having saluted him, acquainted him with the cause of his coming, and told him that if any evil event had happened, to Ali Nuruddin, the Khalifa would destroy him who was the cause of it. He then arrested the Sultan and the vizier Al-Mu'in, the son of Sawi, and gave orders to liberate Ali Nuruddin, and enthroned him as the Sultan in the place of the Sultan Muhammad, the son of Suleiman al zaini after which he remained in al-Basra three days, the usual period of entertainment, and on the morning of the fourth day, Ali Nuruddin said to Jafar, I have a longing desire to see the prince of the faithful. So Jafar said to the Sultan Muhammad, the son of Suleiman, prepare thyself for traveling, for we will perform the morning prayers and depart to Baghdad. He replied, I hear and obey, and they performed the morning prayers and mounted all together with the vizier al-Mu'in, the son of Sawi, who now repented of what he had done. As to Ali Nuruddin, he rode by the side of Jaffar and they continued their journey until they arrived at Baghdad, the abode of peace. They then presented themselves before the Khalifa and related to him the case of Nuruddin, whereupon the khalifa addressed him, saying, Take this sword, and strike off with it the head of thine enemy. And he took it, and approached Al-Mu'in, the son of Sawi. But he looked at him, and said to him, I did according to my nature, and do thou according to thine. And Nuruddin threw down the sword from his hand, and looking towards the khalifa, said, O prince of the faithful, he hath beguiled me he then recited when he came he deceived me by a trick the noble man is deceived by soft words so the khalifa said do thou leave him and he said to masrur o masrur advance thou and strike off his head Masrur Therefore did so, and upon this the khalifa said to Ali, the son of al-Fadl, the son of al request me of what thou wilt. He replied, O my lord, I have no want of the sovereignty of al-Basra, and desire nothing but to have the honour of serving thee. Most willingly I assent, said the khalifa, and he summoned the damsel. And when she had come before him, he bestowed favours upon them both, he gave to them one of the palaces of Baghdad and assigned to them regular allowances and made Nuruddin one of his companions at the table, and he remained with him until death overtook him. This story, said Sherizad, is no more remarkable than that of the merchant and his sons. How is that? asked the Shanshah. I have heard, O oh, auspicious Shah. she replied. THE STORY OF GANIM, THE SON OF AYUB, THE DISTRACTED, SLAVE OF LOVE It hath been told to me, O oh, happy Shehenshah, said Shahrazad, that there was, in ancient times, a certain merchant of Damascus, possessed of wealth, who had a son, like the moon at the full, of eloquent tongue, called Ghanim, the son of AYUB, the distracted. Slave of love, and the son had a sister named Fitne, on account of her excessive beauty and loveliness. Their father died, leaving them large property night thirty nine <laughs> morning now dawned, and Shahrazad broke off from what she had been allowed to say. Then, when it was the thirty-ninth night, she continued, I have heard, O auspicious Shehenshah, that their father left great wealth for the two of them, among which were a hundred loads of silk and brocade and bags of musk, and upon these loads was written, this is intended for Baghdad, it having been his desire to journey to that city. So when Allah, whose name be exalted, had taken his soul, and some time had elapsed, his son took these loads and journeyed with them to Baghdad. This was in the time of Harun al-Rashid. He took leave of his mother and relations and townspeople before his departure and went forth placing his dependence upon Allah whose name be exalted and Allah decreed him safety so that he arrived at Baghdad, whither there travelled in his company a party of merchants. He hired for himself a handsome house, and furnished it with carpets and cushions, and suspended curtains in it, and there he deposited these loads together with the mules and camels, and remained until he had rested himself, and the merchants of Baghdad and its great men came and saluted him. He then took a wrapper containing ten pieces of costly stuff, with the prices written upon them and went forth with them to the market of the merchants who met him and saluted him treated him with honor and welcomed him and seated him at the shop of the sheikh of the market and he sold the pieces gaining for every piece of gold too so Ghanim rejoiced and he proceeded to sell the stuff by little and little and continued to do so for a whole year After this, on the first day of the following year, he came to the same market, but found its gate shut, and inquiring the cause of this, he was answered, One of the merchants had died, and all the rest of them have gone to walk in his funeral procession. Wilt thou then, added his informant, gain a recompense by walking with them? He replied, Yes, and he asked Respecting the place of the funeral. So they guided him thither and he performed the absolution and walked with the other merchants until they arrived at the place of prayer where they prayed over the dead. The merchants then walked all together before the corpse to the burial ground, Ghanim following them until the procession arrived at the burial ground outside the city and they proceeded among the tombs until. They came to that in which the corpse was to be deposited. They found that the family of the deceased had pitched a tent over the tomb, and placed there the candles and lamps, and they buried the dead, and the readers sat reciting the Quran at the tomb. The merchants sat with them, and so did Hanim, the son of Ayyub. But he was overcome by bashfulness, saying within himself, I cannot quit. Them until I have departed with them. They sat listening to the recitation of the Koran until the period of nightfall, when the servants placed before them the supper and sweetmeats, and they ate until they were satisfied, and washed their hands, and resumed their seats. The heart of Ghanim was now troubled with reflections upon his merchandise, and he was fearful of the thieves and said within himself, I am a stranger and suspected of possessing wealth, and if I pass the night far away from my abode, the thieves will steal the money and the loads. So fearing for his property, he arose and went forth among the company, asking their leave to depart on account of some business that he had to transact, and followed the beaten track until he came to the gate of the city. But it was then midnight, and he found the gate of the city shut, and saw no one coming or going, and heard not a sound save the barking of the dogs, and the howling of the wolves, whereupon he exclaimed, There is no strength nor power but in Allah. I was in fear of my property, and came hither on account of it, and have found the gate shut, and now I have become in fear for my life. He then returned to seek for himself a place in which to sleep Until the morning, and finding a private burial place enclosed by four walls, with a palm tree within it and a gateway of hard stone open, he entered it and desired to sleep, but sleep came not to him. Tremor and gloom overcame him thus lying among the tombs, and he rose upon his feet and, opening the door, looked out and beheld a light gleaming in the distance in the direction of the city gate. He advanced a few steps and saw the light approaching in the way, which led to the burial place in which he was taking refuge, whereupon Ghanim feared for himself and hastily closed the door and climbed up into the palm tree and concealed himself in the midst of its branches. The light continued to approach the tomb by little and little until it came very near, And as he looked attentively at it, he perceived three black slaves, two of whom were bearing a chest, the other having in his hand an adze and a lantern. And as they drew near, one of the two slaves, who were bearing the chest, said, What aileth thee, O sawab? To which the other of the two replied, What aileth thee, O kafur? The former replied, were we not here at the hour of nightfall, and did we not leave the door open? Yes, answered the other, what thou sayest is true. See then, resumed the first speaker, it is shut and barred. Upon this the third, who was carrying the Adze and Light, and whose name was Bakhit, said, how small is your sense! I know ye not that the owners of the gardens go forth from Baghdad and repair, hither, an evening overtaking them, enter this place, and shut the door upon themselves, through fear, lest the blacks like ourselves should take them and roast them and eat them. Thou hast spoken truth, they answered, but there is none among us of less sense than thyself. In the Great Khan's tent is now available on coffee. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, please click on the link available on our many social media platforms, or email us. Why not donate to our coffee to show your appreciation? Every bit helps, and we thank you for your continued support. We love that our listeners love listening to us. Welcome to the vocabulary. Section for this episode. First, let's look at some of the terms used in this episode. Monitor a person who observes a process or activity to check that it is carried out fairly or correctly, especially in an official capacity. Inkhorn a small portable container for ink. Viceroy a governor of a colony, country, or province who acts for and rules in the name of his sovereign or the government. Superscription: something written or engraved on the surface outside or above something else. Mandate: an official order or commission to do something. Investiture: the action of formally investing a person with honors or rank. Arabic name meaning little tomcat. Mustaba Arabic term for bench. Kulleh A small, porous, earthen bottle with a wide mouth. Tracks An area of indefinite extent, typically a large one. Ghanim Arabic male name meaning plunderer, enemy and robber. Ayub Arabic name meaning a prophet of Allah. Fitne means temptation, strife, persecution, seduce, tempt, or lure away. Brocade a rich fabric woven with a raised pattern typically with gold or silver. Musk. A substance with penetrating persistent odor obtained from the musk deer and used as a perfume fixture. Procession A number of people or vehicles moving forward in an orderly fashion, especially as part of a ceremony or festival. Informant A person who gives information to another. Ablution The washing of one's body or a part of it as in a religious rite. Sweetmeats, also known as halwa, made of sugar, cream, almonds and other ingredients. Kafur, Arabic name meaning camphor. Sawab, Arabic name meaning reward. Bakhit, an Arabic or Persian name meaning little good luck. Browse, a main branch of a tree. Scoundrel, a dishonest or unscrupulous person a rogue intercessors a person who intervenes on behalf of another especially by prayers feeble-witted one that is deficient in intelligence or common sense now let's look at some of the vocabulary used in this episode divest to take something away from someone or something else or To cause something or someone to lose or give up something. Predicament. A difficult, unpleasant, or embarrassing situation. Implored. Beg someone earnestly or desperately to do something. Artful. Clever or skillful, typically in a crafty or cunning way. Autobiographical. Of, for, or like an autograph. Or, written in one's own handwriting. Benignity, kindness or tolerance towards others. Mortify, cause someone to feel embarrassed, ashamed, or humiliated. Strove, make great efforts to achieve or obtain something. Spectacle, a visually striking performance or display. Fence, from that place. Procurable, capable of being obtained. Incessantly. Without interruption or constantly extolled, praise enthusiastically Exalted, placed at a high or powerful level, held in high regard. Ought anything at all Droth a swig or serving of a drink. Tumultuous making a loud, confused noise or uproar. Lamenting to mourn a person's loss or death. Ceaseth to bring an activity or action to an end or to discontinue. Unsullied not spoiled or made impure. Estimation a rough calculation of the value, number, quantity, or extent of something. Bashfulness the quality of being very shy or easily embarrassed. Transact conduct or carry out business. Tremor an involuntary quivering movement or a sudden feeling of fear or excitement. Gloom, a state of depression or despondency. Adze, a tool similar to an axe used for cutting or shaping large pieces of wood. Barred, to be blocked from entrance or not allowed to do something. Pliant, bending readily, flexible, supple, or adaptable. Racistitude. Morally correct behavior or thinking. Righteousness. Inevitably. As is certain to happen, or unavoidably. This episode has been written, edited, and produced by Saf Big. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day, and or night. And may the journeys which you are set upon. Be fruitful. Thank you for listening.